You are listening to an audio sermon from Harvest Bible Chapel, York Region. For more information, visit hbcyr.ca. So we're in Colossians chapter 2, verse 23, and we're going to go all the way to the verse, uh, chapter 3, uh, verse 1 to 4. Um, I have a question for you, a question that I often have to ask myself. Um, here's the question. Does your life, brother and sister in Christ, does your life show evidence of change? Now, the Colossian church was going through a time where a false teaching had crept in, and they believed some things that they thought would help them change, but uh, were invaluable, were not valuable. Uh, Let's look at Colossians 2, verse 23, and I'll read that verse first. It says... These have an appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion and asceticism and severity to the body, but they are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. I think of it like this, um, patchwork sanctification, right? Uh, maybe like I have, you can be uh, fall into simple patchwork sanctification. You know there's a problem. You know that you have a vice and a stronghold of sin, but the things that you are doing are of no value to stop the indulgence of the flesh. It's just a patchwork, patch job, and it keeps seeping through. So there was a, uh, a very famous Canadian comedian that had a show that was on TV for many years. Uh, you, you might know him. Uh, he was famous for uh, his fashion, um, hat, his toques and plaid shirts. He was uh, famous for his name. His first and last name were both colors. And he was famous for swearing that duct tape would fix anything. Do you guys know who I'm talking about? Red Green, right? Remember that guy from a while ago? Uh, Red Green had these, this really funny comedy show, and he swore by duct tape it would fix anything. But we know that there are some things that simple duct tape patchwork isn't sufficient to fix. Maybe you've got a house and all of a sudden uh, some water is starting to come up through the floor in your basement. And, uh, you know, you might want to put duct tape on the tiles to try and keep that down. But that patch job isn't probably going to work because the problem isn't going to be fixed with duct tape. You might have to, like, dig out the foundation and relay it down because there's some leaky, seeping spots in that foundation. Have you ever been in a pattern in your Christian walk where that stronghold just, you know it's there, but it's just sin, confess, repeat. Sin, confess, repeat. Have you been there like I have? We need to look for something more than patchwork sanctification. We need to go down into the foundation, break it up, and lay the only foundation that can be laid, which is the gospel. You see, it's the gospel alone that is the only pattern for real change. It is the gospel by which we are daily renewed in our mind, by which we are daily reassured in our hearts of our identity in Christ, and daily that we are trained by our, in our wills to renounce and resist sin and walk in obedience. It's only the gospel that will fully renew our mind, reassure our hearts of our true identity, and train our wills to resist and renounce sin. 
And this is the journey of the entire Christian life. There is not a day that you will not need to be renewed in the pattern of the gospel and put sin to death. So, today, we're looking for a pattern of real change. And it's the gospel. But, Colossians 3, verse 1 to 4, is going to allow us to evaluate our hearts. To see the sins that we've been just patching up. So we need to ask ourselves, seriously, do we see genuine change? And if not, we need to adopt the gospel's pattern for real change. So let's keep reading the passage. Colossians 3, verse 1 to 4, it says this, If then you've been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on the things that are above, not the things that are on earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ and God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Does my life show evidence of real change? Well, Colossians 3 verse 1 shows the first evidence. Um, Do you seek what glorifies God? That's evidence of real change. Do you seek what glorifies God? Look at verse 1 again, with your eyes back in the book with me. If then you've been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above. Well, what are the things that are above? It says it right next. Where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Well, where where is Christ seated? What's this seat that Jesus is sitting on? Well, if we understand the seat that Jesus is sitting on, we'll understand what we must be seeking Okay? And these pictures will help us. We'll look at a couple seats. Here's the first one. Uh, this first seat, if you're uh, seeking to sit in a seat like this, then maybe you're seeking to be taught by someone. If you're sitting in a school desk, maybe you're going to uh, take an exam and you're going to be graded. How about this next seat? If you're seeking to sit in a seat like this, uh, maybe it's because you're sick and you're seeking for someone to get you healthy. Uh, or, or how about this last one, this next one? Um, if you're seeking to sit in a seat like that, that looks comfy. It's probably because you want to relax. just want to veg out. Okay, we got one more. How about this? Um, if we're seeking someone who's seating in a seat like that, you're seeking someone who is worthy of your allegiance, your honor, You're seeking someone who's worthy to be glorified. Notice that in a throne like this, there are steps up to that throne, and those steps are wide, but there is one throne for one person. Philippians chapter 2, verse 9 to 11 reminds us that having done the greatest work of dying for our sins on the cross, Christ now has been risen from the dead, and Christ is seated on a throne, Lord of heaven and earth. Be sure there is only one person to sit on the throne of your heart, and that's Jesus Christ. Do you seek what glorifies God? Or are you seeking glory for yourself? You see, this is one of the two roots of all sin. 
what caused Adam and Eve to sin in the garden is the same thing that caused Adam in, excuse me causes us to sin today. Number one, distrust of the word of God. Number two, we want glory for ourselves. The evidence of change is, is that we seek what glorifies God. To seek the things above is to seek the throne of Jesus and to seek what glorifies Jesus. What if I asked the closest people in your life, if I asked them, hey, does, does, does she seek what glorifies God? Does he seek what glorifies God? What would they say? Would they say, yeah, that girl, like my wife, she, she, she's not a complainer. Because she sees that everything good and bad is all from God and she gives glory to him and is thankful. Yeah, my husband, that guy in my small group, yeah, him, he, he doesn't fear man. He just fears God. He doesn't seek to please himself. He only lives to please God. What would someone say about you if I asked a close person to you? But uh, like a dog that desperately craves the affection and the attention of its owners, we sinful people desperately crave something else other than giving God glory. We crave approval from others and our own glory. This is what Jesus said. A high schooler reminded me of this verse a couple years ago that was so helpful. John 5.44. Jesus asks a question. Answer it if you think you can. How can you believe... When you receive glory from one another and do not seek the glory that comes from the only God. Answer if you can. How can you believe? How can you care to worship God if you're only concerned about getting yourself glory? What is the way that you are self-absorbed, self-centered, I first preached this message to high schoolers, and the first application I gave to them was, how do you use social media? Because be sure, it is a septic tank of self-absorption and narcissism that sinful hearts will gravitate to to get approval for others, and that will suck any glory that you could give to God like a black hole. Because you just want it for yourself. Because I can just want it for myself. But those are other things too. How about this? Are you using your kid's academic success to make yourself look good? What about your, your, your fashion? Uh, your good looks? Your possessions? Your house? Um, your white picket postcard family? Your job? Your education? Be sure there are only two things that the Christian has that will last into eternity. The word of Christ and the spirit of Christ. And all other things will pass away. Are you able to identify what you used to glorify yourself? As long as we are only concerned with seeking glory from others, we cannot give glory to God. Does my life show evidence of real change? Well, do you seek what glorifies God? And maybe you've been trying the patchwork, but, but now it's time to adopt the gospel's pattern for real change. Because friends, 
you will. You will seek what glorifies God if, if you've been raised with Christ. Look back at God's word. Colossians 3 verse 1, this is so important. It says, if then you've been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. If you've recognized that you're a guilty sinner who's broken God's law, if you've believed that Jesus Christ suffered God's wrath in your place, if you've repented of your sins and confessed that Jesus Christ is Lord, then, friends, then you are risen with Christ. Then you are forgiven. You have a new, abundant, and eternal life. Then, as Christ is, so are we in this world. We've been united with a death like his, and sin no longer has any power over us. The old man, the old nature has been brought to nothing, and you are no longer under the law. Sin no longer has dominion over you. You are under grace. And then you know who deserves to sit on the throne. And it's not us, is it? Then, when you are reoriented by the gospel, it won't be a chore to say, he must increase and I must decrease. It will be your heart's greatest delight. Taking out out the garbage was uh, one of my chores when I lived in my parents' home when when I was a kid. And I didn't like it. Because um, I was lazy and because I just had this chore attitude of like, oh, I gotta take out the garbage. Oh, I just don't, oh, fine. Or, oh, do I really have to do this? I do, I'm playing games. Can't you just leave me to my gaming? Fine. You know the chore attitude. And it, it applies to other places in our life as well. But there was something else that I did that was a lot harder than doing the chores but I didn't have the chore attitude to it. It wasn't hard to take out the garbage. It was really hard to wake up between 5 and 6 a.m. every Saturday morning, pack up the van with the family, make lunches for everyone, and drive up to Aurelia to go skiing in the middle of February. That was hard. But but I didn't have the, oh, I gotta do this attitude. No, 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 no. It wasn't a chore. It was a privilege. It was like, I get to do this? If you've been risen with Christ, you're united with him in his death. You're united with him in his resurrection. The old man, the old nature, no longer has any hold on you. You see that Christ now, having died and risen, is glorified. It's not a chore to worship the one who's worthy of glory. You will gladly say, it will be a pleasure to say, he must increase. And I must decrease. Do you seek what glorifies God? If you've been raised with Christ, and if you renew yourself in the pattern of real change, renew yourself in the gospel, you will. The gospel promotes change as I daily renew my mind in its truth. As I daily reassure my heart of my identity in Christ. And as I daily train my will to renounce sin. So how does the gospel in this way allow us 
to enable real change, to stop glorifying myself and start glorifying Jesus. Well, here's the truth that your mind needs to be renewed in. Um, Christ is on the throne and I'm not. We got to hear that every day because my consciousness is stuck in my own mind and I always first care about myself and my consciousness is stained by sin. But sin no longer has dominion over me. The truth we need for our minds is Christ is on the throne and I'm not. The assurance we need with for our hearts is that you're risen with Christ. And I'm not transformed as I seek my own glory. As we behold his glory, we will be transformed. The truth for our minds, the assurance for our hearts, and then we need to train the will. Because the truth is, God opposes the proud. Giving yourself glory and seeking it sets you against God. God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Every day. This isn't a once a week, give me another sermon preacher, and then I'll have every day, every day. We need our minds renewed, our hearts reassured, and our will Trained. There is no other substitute for real change other than the renewal of the gospel in our lives. Mind, heart, will. Everything else is patchwork. And it will be the journey of our lives. But God is on your side, friend. Do you seek what glorifies God? You will if you've been risen with Christ. So, I have another question for you. Do you, and to consider whether or not you see genuine change in your life. Write this down if you're taking notes. Um, do you turn from earthly things? That's an evidence of genuine change. Do you turn from earthly things? Get your eyes back in the book with me. Let's read verse 2 to verse 4. It says, Set your minds on the things that are above, not on the things that are on earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Do you turn from earthly things? Well, what are, what are the earthly things? What is the Holy Spirit, through the Apostle Paul's writing, talking about? If we read just a little bit farther, we'll get it. Okay, look at verse 5. Ready? Verse 5 says, Put to death. Therefore, what is earthly in you? Okay, so basic grammar, colon in the English grammar means that a list is coming, okay? So what follows is the earthly things that we must turn from. Ready? Be honest with yourself. Sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. Let's keep going. Verse 8. But now you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, obscene talk from your mouth. Verse 9. Do not lie to one another, seeing as you've put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of the Creator. Look down uh, a little bit uh, more to verse 12. These are positive things, but let's consider the negative opposite sins of this. Uh, verse 12 says, put on compassionate hearts. Well, maybe instead of compassion, you're cruel. Maybe instead of being kind, you're mean. 
Uh, maybe instead of being humble, you're proud. Instead of meekness, arrogance. Instead of patience, impatience. Instead of forgiveness, bitterness. Instead of love, hatred. Instead of thankfulness, complaining. The Bible has a, a longer list of sins. Maybe these ones are vices in your heart. We need to turn from earthly things like vanity, like worry, like gluttony, like gossip, like greed, jealousy, the love of money, laziness, disobedience to parents. Do you turn from earthly things or are you comfortable with these things setting up shop in your heart? Look back at verse 5 with me for a second. Excuse me, verse 6. After talking about a few of the sins that we must put to death, verse 6 says, On account of these things, the wrath of God is coming. We don't talk about the wrath of God often, or at least the church in many places does not like to talk about the wrath of God often. But the more we neglect proper teaching on the wrath of God, the more we will neglect living in the fear of God. And if we neglect living with the fear of God, we will never turn from sin. Do you know the wrath of God? Anger is the emotion that you feel in your heart. Wrath is what is expressed from that emotion. So maybe a foolish little kid's got a stick and they're poking your dog. And if they keep poking that dog long enough, they're going to know it's angry because they're going to start growling. But maybe that kid's too foolish to stop even though the dog's obviously angry because it's growling. And then it's going to express that anger and it'll bite you. God hates sin. And God's wrath will be expressed on sin. If we saw the catastrophic devastation that God's wrath will bring upon sinners, we would urgently, urgently and in the fear of God, run from it. Do you know how God sees sin? Listen to this verse, 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 2 and 3. It says, for you yourselves are fully aware that the day of the Lord will come, a day of judgment, that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. You don't know when. While people are saying there's peace and security, then sudden destruction will come upon them as labor pains become, uh, come on a pregnant woman and they will not escape. You may walk around life with no fear of the Lord. The wrath of God is coming in. It will come like a thief in the night. But we have no urgency because we do not have the fear of the Lord. When I was in grade seven, uh, I, liked, I was up, spent most of my summers up at the cottage. And in grade seven in particular, um, something happened and I nearly drowned. 
Um, so there was this marina day and I got to go to the marina by the lake and use all the water sports equipment and I've done lots of this stuff before and I chose that I wanted to go kayaking. I'd been kayaking before but little itty bitty grade 7 Jason uh, wasn't able to get any of the like kid kayaks that were available because they were all taken. So uh, whoever was working at the marina decided that little itty bitty grade 7 Jason uh, should be able to have a really big adult kayak. So they gave me the kayak and they gave me that like Spanish uh, skirt that stretches to cover the whole of the kayak, except uh, little bitty itty, little itty bitty Jason uh, had two little itty bitty arms. So when I got into the river and was kayaking, my buddy was like, yo, Jason, you should flip. And I was like, okay, I'll flip upside down. And I'd done it before in the like kid's kayak, but not in the adult kayak. And then I flipped. And little itty bitty Jason had two little bitty arms to be able to grab the skirt. And I couldn't get myself out. I don't know how long I was under, underwater for, but I know what I felt. I felt fear. Because I knew if something didn't happen quick, I was gone. Somehow a, a kayak came by, by the grace of God, and I was able to like barely reach my hand out and then grab it and like lift, lift my head up so just like my, my nose and my mouth were out of water, and I just yelled, help, 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 and and someone came to my help. We don't turn from earthly sin because we have no fear of God. And we don't have the fear of God because we don't understand God's hatred towards sin. But we must. God hates sin. And God's wrath is coming on these earthly things. Some of you may be already questioning in your head, but Jason, Jason, isn't God gracious? Like, doesn't have the, God have the grace to forgive my sin and pass over my sin? Absolutely. In, an, in a way that we can't comprehend. Where, where sin increases, grace abounds all the more. But... This is not the grace of God. We treat God's grace like a doormat. I can go and slog my shoes through all the mud and the muck of a sinful world, but as soon as it's time for Sunday, just confess my sin because God is gracious, rub my dirty, stinky, sinful feet off on God's grace. Now, well, I can come as I please. I can go as I please and go right back into the mud. If that's your attitude, you don't understand grace. If that's your attitude, you've been abusing God's grace. If that's been your attitude for your entire Christian walk, and you're not seeing any genuine change but using grace like a token, you may not have genuinely repented of your sins and may not be born again. We all struggle in many ways, but God's grace, do you know what God's grace should, would do if we understood the cost? It's free, but it cost the life of the perfect Son of God. 
This is what Romans says grace should do. Listen, listen, Romans 2, verse 4 and 5. Do you presume on the kindness and forbearance of patience, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance? If you think God's kindness and grace can lead you back to your sin, you don't get it. But if you see God's kindness and grace now, he suffered so that you could be saved. Believe on the Lord Jesus. Turn away from it. Run from it like Joseph ran from that prostitute. Run from it and into the arms of Jesus Christ. God's grace should lead us to repentance. Do you turn from earthly things? Listen, friends. As long as we are in these bodies, we will always be tempted with sin. Always. The goal isn't become perfect. The goal is become like Christ. And God's grace holds us secure. And God is on our side. And he wants you to change. And you can change. And you can find liberty. You can find freedom. You can break the shackles through the gospel. Do you turn from earthly things, friends? Let's adopt the pattern of real change. You will turn from earthly things if you have heavenly hope. Do you have heavenly hope? Look again at the passage. Colossians chapter 3, verse 2. Set your minds on the things above, not on the things that are on earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will appear with him in glory. You have heavenly hope. Your life isn't here now. Your life isn't in those sinful lusts and desires now. Your true life is stored with Christ. Then when Christ comes, you will be resurrected to a new body with Christ and with him forever. This is our motivation to turn from earthly things because we have heavenly hope. And be sure, it's a joy to be able to turn from these things and let them go because they're all passing away anyway. So if you have a middle schooler in your home, or maybe you're a grandparent of a middle schooler, or maybe if you just know a little bit about pop culture, you, you probably are aware of that uh, new toy, that new fad toy that has taken the toy industry by storm this past school year. Do you know what it is? Um, uh, fidget spinners, right? Maybe you know that, maybe you don't. That doesn't, it doesn't, don't worry if you don't know what it is, because uh, that fidget spinner, the new fad toy of 2016, is quickly gonna go the same way as the other fad toys that you might know about, like um, uh, silly bands. Remember how popular those were like two years ago? Who wears them now, right? Or like uh, Beanie Babies. I had so many and played with them so often, now they're in a box. Um, Polly Pocket, uh, Tamagotchi, Chia Pets, Pet Rocks. <laughs> they, they, those are a thing. There are many reasons all of those might have been popular. There's one thing in common. Everyone's forgotten about them. There are many reasons and many things in which we are tempted with. One thing is sure. All of them will pass away. And what you think gives you joy now is nothing compared to the abundance of joy that we will have in eternity with Jesus. 
Listen to this verse, 1 John 2, verse 15 to 17. Do not love the world or the things of this world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, the pride of life, is not from the Father, but from the world. And the world, with all its desires, are passing away. But the one who does the will of my Father will remain forever. You can say no to lust. You can say no to gossip. You can say no to stealing. You can say no to self-righteousness. You can say no to worry and anxiety and covetousness and pride. You can say no to these things because they're passing away and what you think gives you joy now will not remain. You can turn from earthly things because you have heavenly hope. No patch jobs. Let's get a real fix. Let's really go to the root. The gospel renews our mind with truth. Our sure is our heart about our true identity in him. And trains the will to renounce and resist sin. What's the truth that heavenly hope tells us that renews our mind? The truth is the earth and all its desires are passing away. Don't forget it. Write it down. Keep it in a wallet in your pocket. Read it every day. The truth we need our minds to be renewed in is the earth and all its desires are passing away. What about the assurance for our hearts? How can we be reassured in our hearts of our true identity in Christ, of our true self-worth? Well, you have heavenly hope. Your life and your self-worth isn't found in the things here. Your self-worth is determined by God's love for you in Jesus Christ. Your true life is waiting for you in heaven. You are no longer under sin. Sin no longer has dominion over you if you believed in Jesus. As he is, so are we in this world. Truth for our minds. Reassurance for our hearts. Training for the will. Our hope is in heaven. The one who does the will of God abides forever. What you do will last for eternity if it's done in the name of the Lord and in obedience to his word. What you do for yourself and for sin will be stacked up on an altar and burned. And everything done for self is wood and hay and ash. But everything done in the name of Jesus is precious stones that is refined through fire. The gospel alone is our only pattern for change. Everything else is patchwork. We need to be renewed in mind daily. We need to be reassured in our hearts daily. We need to be trained in our will daily. And it's our lifelong journey. Because as long as we are in this body, we will always be tempted with sin. But doesn't that give you hope? That there will be a day when we are in resurrected bodies and sin will be gone, death will be gone, temptation will be gone. Paradise. Yet now, we're not at peace we're at war, and we must fight against sin. 
So maybe there's a sin that you've recognized today that you have let set up shop in your heart and you're just comfortable with what God hates. It's time to embrace uncomfortability now. It's time to do the things that are uncomfortable if you're going to see real change in your life. Not patchwork. We need to be renewed in our gospel and we need to make uncomfortable decisions, inconvenient decisions, things that are painful, things that may hurt, but things that will allow God's gospel to renew and restore you. First, embrace the uncomfortability of confessing your sin. Listen, God sees it already. There is nothing hidden that will not be revealed. Be sure your sins will find you out. God knows already, so confess it to him. Then, confess it to another Christian as well. Because hard hearts breed in isolation. And you bank on this. You will never change if you try and do it by yourself. You need encouragement. So come back, friends. Come back to the church. You might have been hurt by the church. Come back and trust Trust that the Lord can bring you healing through loving brothers and sisters in Christ. Embrace the uncomfortability of confessing your sin to God and then to others. Also this, embrace the uncomfort of resisting your sin with tangible, practical changes of habit. So you keep going out and drinking with those same friends, delete their numbers. You keep going to those same sites to watch pornography, get someone else to put software on computer so that, and your phone so that they have the password and you can't change it. You keep going to that place when you think you're somewhere, uh, your, your wife or your kids think you're somewhere else, write a daily agenda and make sure someone has it, else has it too. No unaccounted time. It's going to be inconvenient. But it's going to be worth it. Because Christ has something more for you than slavery to sin. He has fountains of living water through his Holy Spirit. Oh God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you as in a dry and weary land where there is no water. Jesus said, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. You want to be satisfied? You want to satisfy your spiritual hunger? Starve your sinful appetite. Embrace the uncomfort of confessing your sin. Embrace the uncomfort and inconvenience of making practical, tangible changes to your habits. Though most importantly, never graduate from the school of the gospel. We need it daily. Daily, renew your mind with the truth of the gospel. Get, allow your heart to be reassured of your identity in Christ and your true worth. And train your will to renounce sin, resist it, and offer yourself in obedience to God. It's time to get uncomfortable with our sins. And if you're ready to adopt 
the real pattern, the gospel's real pattern for change, then you'll have the zeal and the courage to do it today. We're going to sing now, so stand with me and let us sing to the Lord together. Father, thank you so much for the gospel of Jesus Christ. In the book of Galatians, the, the Apostle Paul said uh, about the cross, that through the cross uh, we have died to the world and the world has died to us. That through the cross uh, we have uh, died to sin and we are alive with Jesus. And now we must consider ourselves dead to sin and alive with Christ and then offer ourselves not in slavery to sin but in, as a, in obedience to you as your slaves. Oh, thank you, Lord God, for the liberty, for the liberation that we have, for the freedom that we have. Thank you for the love that you have for us, for the grace that you have for us. Oh, God, your scripture tells us to walk in a manner worthy of the gospel. Let us, let our church, let me, let our elders, our leaders, our small group leaders, our church be a people who strive to that end, to live in a manner worthy of the gospel of our gracious and merciful Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Change us, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.